Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewertz, Vice President of the North Star Meetings Group Sports Division and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our episode today is called The Honest Scoop About Sports Tourism, Salaries, and Compensation. Our guests are the research wizards behind the recently released Sports Events and Tourism Association report on the topic, Jennifer Stoll, the founder of Stoll Strategies, and Cambria Jones, the Director of Marketing at Searchwide Global. We'll be talking with Jennifer and Cambria about their findings, not just on how much people in the industry are being paid and how they're compensated, but also some deeper questions about how CVBs and sports commissions are staffed and what you can do to safeguard your own professional career through employment contracts and other measures. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 23 will be held in the Palm Beaches of Florida at the Palm Beach Convention Center, October 2nd through the 5th. This year's conference will once again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned to Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And be sure to consider being with us at Teams Europe, our newly launched event, which will be held in London June 27th through the 29th at the XL Convention Center. More information about Teams Europe can be found at teamseurope.com. And now, on to the conversation. Until it just recently released its new report, Sports ETA as an industry association had not surveyed its members about their compensation and salary information for about 10 years. A lot's changed since then. And of course, a lot's changed just within the past few years coming out of the pandemic, which led to massive turnover in the industry and a crop of new employees entering the space. The latest survey, which was sponsored and supported by the North Star Meetings Group, reveals some hard facts about what industry professionals are being paid and how they're being compensated as well. In this conversation with the leading researchers on the report, We explored those issues, including how many sports-related salespeople on average are employed at destination marketing organizations, what kinds of benefits those employees are now looking for, the concerns that still exist over how some of those organizations are funded, and of course, what an average industry professional is being paid. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Jennifer Stoll, Cambria Jones, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Great to see you guys. Thanks for having us, Jason. Great to be here. Yeah, Jennifer, of course, uh, we've had you on in the past to talk about some of Sports ETA's research. Cambria, it's great to have you on as well. Today, we are talking specifically about the recent compensation and salary survey that Sports ETA put together with Searchwide Global as well. And of course, a full disclosure, North Star Meetings Group was a title sponsor of this research. We were proud to be behind this and help get this kind of information in front of the industry. And uh, even more important, because with this particular study, Jennifer, maybe we'll start with you. It's been a while. I know since Sports ETA delved into this kind of data and research. So maybe before we get into the numbers, and we'll get into the numbers, we're talking about salary and compensation. So everyone, uh, of course, wants to know what everyone is making. We'll, we'll get to some numbers as we move along in the discussion. But let's start kind of at the high level, as I always like to do, Jennifer, maybe some context on how long it had been since this kind of research was put in front of the sports event industry and why we're doing this now. Yeah, Jason, thanks. And first, you know, thank you to Northstar and your team for even making this report possible through your partnership. 
And, you know, obviously working with Searchwide Global, we couldn't pick a better group of partners to undertake this effort with. But you're right. It has been a while, right? A hot minute since we've done this. <laughs> um, I think the last one, I had to check the records, but it's been about 10 years, right? So before my time, before Al's time, um, a lot of things have obviously happened in the industry. And that's really what we felt like coming out of the pandemic, seeing these huge shifts in the labor market, that it was important to start to arm our members with as much data as possible. Now, we'll get into this a little bit, but this is also a really tricky topic to research. But what we really wanted to do was was come out with something that was research, you know, methodology sound, um, had the expertise of, of the Searchwide Global team and could really serve as a resource going forward. Well, Jennifer, let me stick with you then for a minute. What what makes it tricky? Yeah, you know, it's it's the nature of our industry is so complex. There's so many variables and not to get too nerdy on you, but when you look at these- this We can get as nerdy as you want uh, to get. You know me, Jason, it's <laughs> going to come whether you want it or not. But really wanting to stick to having sound research because we want to make sure that the data that we're providing to our industry- is as accurate as possible. But we all know if you stand up 100 different sports commission, you've got 100 different organizational structures and probably 100 different funding sources and all the things. So in order to do it right, the more you slice and dice a data set, the less valid it becomes. And in actuality, our population isn't that big. We've got about 500 destinations. So it's really trying to hone in on those things, that grouping that we can take in our industry and say, okay, here's a commonality and we can do this across the board, which is why we, we started with the destination leaders. Right. And Cambria, let me bring you into the conversation. Searchwide Global obviously has been a leader across the travel industry and a lot of industries when it comes to hiring and, and issues of, of compensation. Do you guys see these kinds of studies in other industries as well? I mean, is this something that you guys are involved with and, and see as having some value even outside of the, the sports event industry? Yes, absolutely. Um, we actually partnered with Destinations International to do a similar study specifically for the DMO space of the CEO's contract and compensation and benefits. So when we were going through this survey, I couldn't help but kind of draw some comparisons to the greater industry and then look at the sports-specific segment. So I think as we navigate through this conversation, I'll be able to kind of show you some parallels and then also some key differences on how maybe the sports industry needs to um, sort of catch up in some areas. And in some areas, they actually mirror the greater industry. All right. Excellent. Well, let's get into it a little bit. So here's a question to start off with. When we first wrote about this survey, when you guys released it a few weeks back, one of the North Star products we have uh, is an email that goes out called Meeting News. And in that, we have uh, various headlines you know, uh, pulled out from topics across the travel industry. And when they picked up our story on this specific report for the sports event industry, they had a, a headline that said something to the effect of, are, are sports tourism professionals overworked and underpaid? Is that a fair assessment uh, at the highest level here? Or let, let's start there and then we'll go into the numbers. Yeah. I mean, geez, Jason, throw us a curveball for the starter, right? You know, but, <laughs> to keep it interesting, right? Off, right, right. Off right. The bat. Um, what I was just saying about the the makeup of our industry, right? We've got destinations, we've got rights holders, we've got industry partners, we've got venues, we've got a, a lot of different things. So it's kind of like slicing an orange. You slice an orange once and it looks pretty much the same. It's orange, it's got some pulp, it's got some stuff in it. But the more you slice and dice that up, all of a sudden now you're stuck with pieces that look more like the peel, right? Or you've got some seeds. And, and that's why it's really hard to compare across the general industry. But when it comes to this, the, the notion of, sports tourism professionals being overworked and under underpaid. I, I honestly think it's in the eye of the beholder, right? And, and our titles kind of screw that up a little bit. And that's another reason it's hard to do this research. When we're talking about destination leaders, on one hand, we're talking about 
true presidents and CEOs of standalone organizations. And on the other hand, we may be talking about um, a sports development manager. So across the, the market, it's there's a little bit of a skew probably in the way we perceive it, just just by the nature of our titles alone. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into some of the details that came out of this report as far as what those numbers look like. But one of the interesting things I found in reading through the report was not just the salaries and the compensation. We'll get to that. But you had some interesting sort of data sets just about organizations uh, on their own and how how they're employing people when it comes to you know sports tourism specifically. One of the first things that really jumped out to me was how many destination leaders in the sports space noted that their organization has only one full-time equivalent. Almost half of the respondents said that, you know, when it comes to, to sports tourism, they've only got one person. That seemed like a big, a big number to me. Over 80% had you know, five or less. So uh, I'm curious, and, and Cambria, maybe we can bring you in here as well, uh, since you've got some perspective in the DMO space. Do those numbers surprise you? Uh, you know, and I guess the reason I ask is we've seen the strength of the of the sports market with regards to the overall travel industry, and it's pulling its weight, and in some cases, uh, you know, more than pulling its weight. And yet, we have uh, so many groups that are are doing it. In a lot of cases, just one person. Yeah, well, certainly when I think about you know them only having one person, that's surprising in today's day and age. Um, when I think about that, it almost reminds me of where DMOs were, say, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, where they're having to build the case for the organization and and really kind of shift the perception of the sophistication of the DMO space. So that's where sports are right now. So to hear that they only have one employee, yeah, we're like, no, we need to need to fix that. But looking at kind of our survey results on the DMO side and our most re- recent one, and we're thinking these DMOs that have like a one to $3 million budget, just to kind of give you some perspective here. Post-COVID, about 76% of them had less than 10 full-time employees, which for us we still think is like a bit low. But if we look at the greater DMO having kind of that low um, full-time employee range and then sports only having one, I think that's where we could kind of mirror and say that they're a little bit behind in that. So I think going forward, like I said, if they can kind of shift that perception and kind of position the sports business to their stakeholders and take it seriously and and advocate for more employees, I think that's going to support the industry overall. And Jennifer, obviously, the larger the market, the more tees uh, we saw, which is not surprising. But uh, did any of those stats surprise you at all? You know, honestly, not, Jason. I mean, there's, as I mentioned, we've got, you know, 400, 500 destinations at any given time. The lion's share of those are small and mid markets, right? Mm -hmm. And the lion's share of those are also, and the survey showed this, and it mirrored our state of the industry report for 2021, but the lion's share of those are also part of a DMO or CVB. So in essence, they're essentially department heads and it's irrespective of the the title and that's not right or wrong. It's just sort of what it is, right? So it doesn't surprise me that we see that few. Now, what we've got is we've got a bunch of people that flex up depending on events and seasonality with interns or contract staff and things of that nature. But really to me, it's less about the number of FTEs as it is the sustainability of the organization. Even though we're really, we most of us are nonprofits. Still has to be, from a business perspective, sustainable sustainable going forward, and it really gives us an opportunity. I mean, Cambria is absolutely right, hitting the nail on the head on advocating for the importance of our role, but to diversify revenue streams, to start to articulate your value proposition in your community, all of those things can lend themselves to increased resources 
both human and financial. So now's the time I would say to be entrepreneurial in that approach, even with your your sports specific hat on. Yeah, well, I think that's a good transition because one of the other things that jumped out at me here, and it was interesting that we even asked it in this survey, was that you talked about diversifying revenue streams, Jennifer. I think you know one of the big takeaways, certainly that we saw during the depths of the pandemic, uh, and not just for sports commissions, but I imagine for for DMOs in the overall travel industry, so heavily reliant uh, on a lot of cases on one primary funding source, uh, often a hotel room tax. You know, we saw that as a potential liability, certainly during the the worst of the pandemic. And uh, you know, in, in your report, in this report that we're talking about, three out of four uh, report that they have no contract or a one-year contract with a primary funding source, you know, a city or a, or a county, let's say, uh, and the same number aren't sure or have no provisions related to their financial reserves. That I mean, we're talking about compensation and salary, we'll get there. But the fact that you asked this question was interesting to me and I think underscores, Jennifer, your point a bit on the, the need as best these organizations can to be thinking about that diversity of their revenues. Yeah, we looked at this in the state of the industry, Jason. I think it was during our session at the uh, at the symposium last year when we showed that chart with a huge, huge bar for lodging tax revenue, and then everything else was kind of incremental along the side. But th- that's hugely important, and we're actually seeing it. I mean, the survey shows in on the individual employment contracts too, right? So if if we're not if we're not looking at it with the perspective of how we diversify those and how we advocate, now's the time. Cambria can probably echo this, but in DMO world, they're noticing sport. It's it's taking taking a significant notice as these communities look for ways to show their value proposition in their destination. So now is a great time to start looking at some of those other funding sources, whether that be tourism improvement districts, corporate partners, sponsorships, grant programs. There's there's lots of ways to look at proactively uh, going out and, and kind of making your own future for your organization or your department within an organization rather than just kind of sitting passively and saying, well, what are they going to give me this year? What's my budget going to be? All right. And Cambria, I imagine this isn't unique to the sports space. Uh, you're probably seeing this uh, across DMOs over the travel industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Jennifer is 100% right about me wanting to echo what she said about uh, seeing the value in sports. We've seen that shift. We see that that's so valuable for destinations. And absolutely, there needs to be more of a partnership and love that advice for them to be more proactive about seeking out those funding sources. Because for sustainability, we're going to need to collaborate. And I think it will all come together for the greater good. All right, let's start talking about the people who responded to this survey. And one other interesting point that I saw on there, and and Jennifer, we've seen this and we've talked about it a bunch. There's a lot of new people in the industry based on what we've been through the last couple of years, or at least it feels that way. Uh, In this survey, at least four out of five respondents had been said they'd been in the industry for longer than five years. But for those that were in that top tier, you know, president, CEO, executive director, that's relatively new. Uh, One third had been in the role for fewer than five years. Uh, Anything surprise you there out of those? No, yeah, I almost uh, laugh a little bit because I just was at our women's summit in Dallas and to kick things off, we said, how many people, this is your first time at the women's summit and nearly... No, I would I'd venture to guess 90% of hands went up. And then oh, we said, wow. how many people, this is your first ever sports ETA event. And I don't think any of those hands went down. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're seeing a massive number of new uh, people in the industry, which is super exciting. But we're also seeing some transition taking place. I mean, our industry, sports ETA has been around 25, 30 years. We were to the point where we're kind of starting to see this cycle 
the shift over and transitions taking place in some of those leadership positions. And I think it's a, it's an exciting thing. Now our job as a um, professional association is just to resource those individuals as best as we possibly can. And that comes from in the form of education. You'll see our content starting to shift towards this, our research institute that's getting ready to launch. Heck, even the, the STS content provider we have lined up for Kansas City is the number has the number one LinkedIn learning class, and it's all on objectives and key results. And, and I don't think there's a leader in our industry, whether you're destination or not, whether you've been there for a long time or you're new to the role or aspiring to be in that role, that shouldn't be sitting in one of those classes because that's the exact type of content that we're trying to program is to help this new wave of leaders emerge in, in, our, um, in our market. Cambria, did anything strike you one way or the other when you saw you know, the length of service that people were reporting in the, on the sports side of the industry? Um, no, totally agree. It wasn't too surprising to me because when we look at the DMO side and again in that that budget range I mentioned before, about 40% of the people who had that executive level, that CEO title, about 40% of them have been in their role about one to five years. So to me, that lined up perfectly and love to hear the notes about professional development and kind of preparing them because that's what we notice most. We want to introduce this new pipeline of talent and move them into these executive roles, but absolutely want to equip them with the skills and the information they need to be successful. All right. Well, let's get into it. Everyone who's listening to this, when they saw the title that we were talking about salaries and compensation, they probably want to hear some numbers. So let's just throw it out there based on what we saw in the survey results here when it comes to salaries that people are making in the sports event industry and through sports tourism. So six-figure salaries are not necessarily the norm. Uh, Your report showed 67% of those who responded said they earned less than $100,000. Uh, 84% earn less than 120,000 and probably not surprisingly 95%. So most of the industry is earning less than, than $200,000. Some context here. I mean, are those, are those good numbers? Are those low numbers? What do, what do we think about what we saw in those results? Yeah. I mean, I think it really just, it's, it's again, it's kind of in the eye of the beholder, right? And we can't always let the title deceive us in some regards you know, it's easy to look at this and say, well, that might be a little bit eye-opening and that's not the numbers that I want to see. That doesn't give me the boost to go down the hallway and, you know, advocate for for a raise for my organization, for my role. But I think it's it's still the opportunity, right? And, and for us in sports, there's a huge opportunity to change the narrative in our industry about that work and that value proposition. We see the salaries a little bit higher, obviously, in the larger market. It's logical. That makes sense. But We've kind of done the same thing the same way for years, and we're seeing a lot of different shifts in the industry. And those are, those are I think, where the, the business savviness and the entrepreneurialism of some of our young leaders and new leaders coming in to realize, hey, you know what? This may be what it is. It's kind of like, you know, you, you sweep it under the rug, but it's still there under the rug. Well, we've got to talk about it, and we've got to advocate for why our, our work is important. And if we're bringing in additional revenue to our community and exposing our community at these, at these broader levels through the platform of sport, then that's going to come back to reward us later on. And, and that's sort of the approach that I would take from it. Cambria, any thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely agree. And a key point there is that the market matters. So yeah, when we look at this just overall, we have to 
tie in all of the other variables that affect this as well. So, you know, a salary in one larger market may not be equivalent to somebody with the same title in a smaller market. So as long as we take that into consideration and realize even on career paths that sometimes lateral moves may get you higher salaries. But again, it's based on that market and looking at that. But just for an overall range, just when we look on the DMO side, I'd say like the 100 to 140 is probably more common just for people that hold that executive um, level position. Again, in that budget size of like a one to three million. So and we look at that comparison, I think not too surprising on those numbers, honestly. Yeah. And I go ahead, Jennifer. Yeah, Jason, just to jump in there. Kimberly is totally right. I mean, we didn't ask about cost of living in these markets. And we know there's great disparity across across markets when it comes to that. So uh, there are other variables to it. And it's not, I guess we'll just leave it, uh, leave it at that. Well, and this is something we've talked about, Jennifer, on and off o- over the years as well. But there's this, uh, there's another intangible when we talk about the sports industry in this space uh, and that it's fun. And I think a lot of times we, we kind of lose that fact. I mean, you just mentioned the Women's Summit. It's around the Women's Final Four, which was just an awesome event. Yeah. And, and we all in this industry from time to time get to be at things where we look around and go, can you believe that this is my job? So there's a, I think there's an element there as well that shouldn't be lost when we talk about uh, all these numbers and stats on, on compensations and salaries. There's, there's definitely a case to be made, uh, particularly in sports-related travel, that there are some intangibles in this industry industry, no matter where you fit into it, that are that are just kind of cool. Totally. We get to work in sports, you know, and I used to, I when I teach, I used to joke around with my students like they expect their career trajectory and pay to be just awesome. But they quickly realize is like Cambry said, this is a market, right? Your your value is what somebody's willing to pay and the market will always kind of come to bear. Sports is entertainment. We work nights and weekends when other people aren't working, when they are socializing, that's when we work. Um, and before and after that, too, usually. And, you know, that's often at some point in our careers in sports, we all realize that. And we think the pay is always this glamorous thing. And, hey, look, some people, you know, there isn't it isn't to say that people aren't there aren't people that are extremely happy with what they do and how much they're being being paid to do it in the market. But but we do get the privilege of working in this industry. And if you show me, you know, if you show me somebody that says they're underworked and overpaid, I'll you know, I'll turn around and probably show you a liar or a slacker, one of the two. Right. I mean, and Cameron, you see this too. I mean, the, the travel industry overall, of course, is an amazing industry to, to work in just by its nature of the places you get to go. But there, I, I don't know, I think there is something to be said for our piece of the uh, of the market here on the sports side. And maybe you get blips of that uh, as well from conversations you have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just personally, Jennifer knows anytime I get to participate with sports ETA and the sports people, it's so much fun. Um, So that just resonates across the people that work in that industry and just overall. But we know also just travel and tourism is a fun industry, especially when we talk to like our young professionals and we talk about retention and how do you get people to stay. A lot of times when you ask them, what do they love most? It's the people and that it's fun. So we need to kind of almost have like a little bit of a rebranding and make sure that we lead with that when we're talking about talent. And yeah, we look at the compensation and benefits. But yeah, let's remind people of how fun of an industry this is. Mm -hmm. I love that Cambria said that. And it it really goes to like what people want to do in their career. Everybody is on a different path and none of them are right or wrong. It's just what they are. So, you know, if you're content in your hometown selling the bejesus out of that for sports, then do it. Do it for the rest of your life. If you want to stay in sports, but go to a larger market, then do that. If you want to you know, see how far you can go and maybe shift over to the broader tourism industry to do that, 
that's fine too. It's not right or wrong. It's just the ability of like, okay, we have the data, we have the information. Let's reflect on that, make a plan for for your individual life, and go out and get that. Yeah, and and just came to my mind as well for anyone who might be listening to this, who might be say in college or considering a, a career in these industries, and and caught the title of this podcast and wanted to kind of hear what what's what. I mean, here's three of us. None of us are destination representatives, even though that's the majority of our audience. But um, you know, Cambria is in a fantastic executive search firm. Jennifer, you've made a career out of uh, researching this industry, and I've uh, turned a journalism career into uh, somehow finding my way into sports events around the world. So, you know, there are any number of ways to be involved in this industry that uh, even aren't necessarily uh, destination sales specific. Yeah. You're, and it's tangential skills. I mean, that's all, that's what we're learning about here. Whether you go traditional tourism and hospitality route down, um, down that route or traditional sport management or, um, you know, any of the surrounding ecosystem that is this industry. It's about learning those transferable skills because you can always be taught the nuts and bolts of any industry, but that that work ethic, that perseverance, the grit, you know, if you want to be the leader of a large market sports commission in, in, our, in our country, there's less than 50 of those. So the company, you know, you, you have to find a way to differentiate yourself. And, and, you know, the Searchwide team knows that better than anybody. Absolutely. And I always remind people that do a show of hands. Most of us didn't go to school for this. Um, and that's what makes our industry so great. You know, you have these diverse backgrounds and these transferable skills that just come together and just make you the perfect fit to work in this space. And like you just mentioned, we all are in different segments. Um, our firm, we focus on executive search and that, that you know, director and level um, positions. But beyond that, we also invest in uh, our future leaders and our youth because we understand that we need this diverse set of talent to come through and then make their way to these positions. So love that. We just remind people that, yes, no straight path. There's no like textbook way. There's not a specific program you need to go through. Everyone is valuable and you never know where this career can take you. Yeah. Well, let me bring... Oh, okay. go ahead, Jennifer. No, I was just going to give you a funny little story with somebody... A couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about career advancements and next steps and all of that, and, and we've seen some great things happening. You've got, you know, people that are on the move in the industry. You've got Ashley Blake out in Spokane and Mike Price stepping over to Ann Arbor to take on additional roles. And, and it's just really cool to watch. But um, with this individual I had this conversation with, I was like, well, have you reached out to Searchwide Global? Do you know them yet? And, and the person said, is that how this works? And I said, yeah, that's how this works. So don't be bashful. <laughs> Not all the time, but, you know, just go pick a brain, call Cambria, call Mark, call, call uh, Mike. They'll all take your, Jennifer, Nicole, the whole team, but take your call and start to at least explore what that looks like for you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So I, I skipped over one part of the survey just to bring it back to something a little more serious for the moment, because I think it's it's worth noting. And Cambria, you may have some perspective here. But one of the questions that you asked on this survey was the notion of an employment contract. And 18% of those surveys said that they had an employment contract. Uh, somehow 5% were unsure if they had a uh, contract or not, which is a whole other thing. Uh, but the the vast majority of people in in our uh, part of the sports, uh, you know, the travel industry don't appear to have an employment contract in place. Cambria, I mean, from Searchwise perspective, what's your takeaway there? Is that something you uh, advocate for, recommend? Uh, does it make a difference one way or the other? Um, 100% yes, advocate for. Um, and I'll be honest, that number was low for me when I saw that, you know, only 18% have the agreement. And then I was extra concerned about those who were unsure because I think that might even raise a conversation about transparency. 
for us, we know that employment agreements are very important and they're beneficial to not only the employee, but also to the organization. You know, this kind of lays your foundation and gives you clarification on the working relationship and ensures you have an understanding of, you know, the expectations regarding your responsibilities and also compensation. So when you have those questions, if you have this agreement in place, you kind of know what that path looks like as well as your benefits. And they're just key overall in just the longevity of one, the relationship you have with the employer and just making sure everyone's on the same page. And I do also want to mention, I think they are something that should be revisited, um, especially as you get further down the line. And we see, you know, the tenure right now, people have been there maybe one to five years. So that original agreement may still be valid, but you need to revisit it and see what things need to shift, what things need to be negotiated. And it just make sure everyone is on the same page. Right. Yeah. Excellent advice. Thank you for that. And segues a little bit uh, in our in our time we have remaining, just a few other points I want to hit that were in there because I, I found them interesting. But you asked about what kind of benefits employees in the industry consider attractive. And this is probably not unique to the sports event industry by any means, but maybe not surprisingly, the notion of remote or hybrid flexibility remained at the top of the list. Uh, 64% of the people in this particular survey listed that as their top choice. Cambria, I imagine this is not a, a surprise thing or, or not any different than any other industry that you're seeing right now? Absolutely. Um, that's that's not going anywhere. You know, the <laughs> remote work, we feel like that conversation really spurred during the pandemic, but we've realized that once people see that flexibility, that's very important, at least hybrid. I know, depending on our space, and Jennifer spoke to that a bit earlier, sports is unique because, you know, y'all are working in the times when a lot of people aren't. You have to be at these events. You have to kind of be boots on the ground. But at least having that hybrid flexibility that you don't have to be in that office stuck in your chair, you know, from eight to five, um, we're definitely seeing that. And you're absolutely right that that's across the industry. Yeah. And uh, Jennifer Cambria brings up a good point. Hard to organize, say, the final four from your desk at home. At some point or another, our industry does need to be out and about. But uh, we all know there are, there are certainly times uh, when it comes to your office work that there's the opportunity to work remote. Yeah. And I think that's the key is just the reflection on it. Like, what do you want and how do you find something that fits? And there, you're, you're right. You can't, you can't necessarily always sell a destination when you're living um, somewhere else, but could you have some flexibility and hybrid work environment? Yeah, for sure. And it, again, I think that, you know, the biggest driver that I would take away from this is it's not that one way is right or wrong. It's just the ability to self-reflect and see what is it that you want? How do you want to design your life and what's the path to kind of get you there? Excellent. All right. Let me call out one last thing uh, before before we wrap up here, because we talked about, and of course, not surprising, the larger the market you're in, uh, the more likely you are to be uh, compensated, compensated, probably at a higher value. But we also surveyed here you know, with regards to benefits, the notion of mental health benefits. And uh, this is kind of a, a call out to the small markets, because at least in your, in your survey, the smaller markets were more likely to offer some sort of mental health benefits uh, than their large budget peers for whatever reason in this survey that I thought was really interesting. Cambria, just curious, again, from your uh, sort of global perspective here on the notion of uh, mental health benefits and given everything we've all been through the last few years and continue to go through, just uh, I wanted to call out the significance of that. Absolutely. Um, So important. And again, when we talk about well-being and overall wellness, absolutely mental health is at the top of that list. Um, I remember us kind of looking at the results and I thought that was so amazing that the smaller destinations seemed to not necessarily value that more, but it was called out more. And I you know, started to raise assumptions that they probably also have a better company culture. So sometimes when you're in that smaller, close-knit community, 
and even um, a smaller close-knit organization, you may notice more about your peers and, and value that mental health. So we have to kind of dive deeper to see the correlation between that, but I love to see it. And I hope that we can continue to see that even amongst the larger organizations, even though it may be a, a, a further reach, um, we have to keep a pulse on mental health and make sure that we are caring about the well-being of all of our employees. Excellent. Well, well said, uh, Cambria. All right. Uh, those are the things that came out uh, to my mind. Jennifer, uh, Cambria, anything that we missed or that you wanted to emphasize from the report? Obviously, the, the full report, I should say, is available on the Sports ETA website. Uh, so by all means, go in there, take a deep dive and, and take a look at what's in there. But Jennifer, Cambria, anything that I missed or that's worth emphasizing before we wrap up? I think um, we have covered, this was an amazing conversation and so glad that you gave direction for people to go check out the full survey. I think they'll find it very interesting and we hope this will be a resource for the industry overall. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jason. And and if there's any questions about it, please don't hesitate to reach out to myself or anyone on the sports ETA team. Or like I mentioned before, Searchwide Global is a, is a great resource in the industry as well. You know, I think all of our organizations are in the business of helping individuals that make up this industry. So any way we can be of help, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. All right. Well, perfect way to end things. Uh, By all means, I encourage everyone to go check out the full reports. Jennifer, Cambria, thank you so much for your time and for your efforts on this study. It will be great to kind of track this moving forward and see where all the trends go from here. But thanks for your time. And I'm sure we'll check in with you again soon. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports events industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at sportstravel on Twitter and Instagram, and at sportstravelmagazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Words for sports travel and thanks for listening.